0: You're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care
1: CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Primary Medicine Podcast. Uh, My name is Dr. Dimitri. It's podcast number 65, and we have Dr. Milo, who's back from his long hiatus. Welcome back.
0: I'm so happy to be back, Dimitri. I really want to thank you. Having me back, and it has been too long. But uh, as you and I both know, life gets really, really busy. Can I interrupt for one second and briefly introduce or reintroduce uh, Physician Empowerment? Is that all right? Sure, go ahead. Uh, so, what I'd like to share with all of our listeners, and for those of you that have been with us for years, I uh, know that we, Dimitri and I, started another project uh, years ago called Physician Empowerment. It was put on ice. It's been redeveloped and we don't have any firm details yet, but they are coming in the subsequent months, but we are relaunching uh, with CME approval. What Physician Empowerment is, uh, is this incredible program where we look at physicians' lives from every perspective, well-being, mindfulness, practice, practice management, personal and corporate finance. We look at it all. And... Um, we provide real strategies to help you evaluate your own life and your own practice and real strategies to improve your work life balance, produce, improve your productivity and generally enjoy your personal life and, uh, and practice life, uh, so much more. So as we get details about our upcoming 2020 event, uh, we will be sharing those with you, but I am very excited that we're relaunching because we, in the years that we held it from 2016 to 2018, we had enormous uh, positive feedback uh, from those of you who attended, and we're looking to have so many more of us out for our 2020 event. Um, so stay posted on that. I'll be back, back podcasting more this year. My hiatus is over, and uh, and uh, so we're looking forward to, to getting right back at it. So do you want to introduce the topic, Dimitri? Do you want me to get started? Totally up to you. No, we'll, we'll be talking about secondary
1: headaches, correct?
0: Uh, you bet. Yep. Yeah.
1: Sure, go ahead. Actually, it's interesting because I had a case. I might run it through you. But yeah, let's go through secondary headaches.
0: Why don't you take me through your case? So we we'll bring it up as an introduction. Sure. And we'll go through secondary headache.
1: Uh, so this is a 50-year-old woman who's never had a headache in her life, coming into my office, complaining of intense headaches multiple times a week that wake her up at night. There's a couple of red flags there. And the big one is which one, Kevin? It's the that she's it's a new onset in a fifty year old.
0: Yeah. 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 So change in course, age over fifty, nighttime headache. A lot of red flags there.
1: And and because I guess the definition of a secondary headache, we, we should define it. The primary headaches, we're talking about migraines, tension headaches, cluster headaches. The secondary headaches are there's a pathology happening inside your skull, mostly, or the optic nerve. And that's why it's more worrisome.
0: Yeah. So when you hear secondary headache, you think scary headache because that's how I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked up a little bit of data on this and uh, headache is an incredibly common presentation to emergency departments, somewhere between 2 to 4% of all eMERGE visits. So, you know, 4% of, you know, practice in community emergency medicine is going to be headache So we see a lot of it. And I wouldn't be surprised, Dimitri, if it's similar uh, numbers in primary care. You probably see a lot of headache. Most of us see a lot of headache. So the key, you know, when evaluating your patient that's presented with a headache is to rapidly determine whether this is a primary headache versus a secondary headache. And so Dimitri alluded to primary headache, and I'm not going to go through that In great detail, those are, you know, things like your cluster headaches, uh, migraine headache, tension headache, um, and a number of other conditions. But those ones aren't a true emergency or urgency the way secondary headache is. Because in that, this case, the headache is the symptom. You need to find the diagnosis. So let's just go through in a really simple way. And I'm not, this is by no means comprehensive. So please, please, please. When you've done this podcast and you want a deeper dive, open up a textbook, have a quick read on some of these topics um, so you get a deeper, better understanding of it. But I want to give you the flyover. I want to give you the approach um, to the secondary headache. So you'll get a patient that will come into your practice, into the emergency department, and she or he may be there for a number of reasons. They want to know what's going on with the headache, why they're having it. They may be there for relief. We get patients that come in and they say, this is my usual migraine. I've tried all my typical migraine treatments at home. They're not working. I'm just here for relief. And we give them what's called the migraine cocktail and and they do better. But you're going to get patients who come in saying, I'm just here for headache relief. But it's still your job to make sure that that headache isn't a secondary headache because they may walk in and, and, you know, minimize their symptoms or be that stoic type of personality where they go, no, 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 I'm just having a bad headache. I just need some, you know, treatment and I'll be on my way. And it's your job as a clinician to stop and say, okay, yeah, but it doesn't sound like you get a lot of headaches or it doesn't sound like this is typical for your usual migraine pattern. Do you mind if I ask you a few more questions about that? Because your goal is to take that deeper dive and make sure that, you're not simply treating a headache that is a secondary headache and having your patient uh, walk out with a, with a missed severe diagnosis. So let's just start very basically on the elements of the history that I haven't even written in my own personal notes is the never miss aspects of the history. So some key things, and, and I'll elaborate on these as we explore the differential diagnosis. But key components of the history you need to know is you need to know a little bit about your patient. If they're pregnant and having a headache, there are some scary things that you need to be evaluating them for. And we're going to cover those in a little more detail. Age over fifty, pre-existing conditions like HIV, immune suppression. If they're presenting with a headache history that's sudden onset, peaking in less than an hour uh, from when it when it started, or complaining of focal neurological symptoms, the patient tells you there's something off about this headache. It's Worse. It's longer lasting than I've ever had. It's more intense. It came on more suddenly. All those things should be triggering you to evaluate, uh, this patient's uh, presentation on a deeper level. If they're, um, describing, uh, trauma, you may be looking at a concussive process in someone who's young and healthy and had a relatively minor mechanism. But don't forget that they can have traumatic intracranial injuries. Everything from an extra axial bleed all the way down to intraparenchymal hemorrhage. And you want to pay particular attention to your patients over 65 with minor head trauma or those who are anticoagulated with minor head trauma. And there, there is some great literature out there about uh, various CT head rules in the emergency department I'll just leave you to read those. But again, just to go through it, there are patient-specific factors like pregnancy, immune suppression, HIV status, age that you need to be aware of, demographic elements. There are elements of the the story itself, whether it's infectious symptoms, B symptoms from a cancer, sudden onset, focal neurological complaints, or just they're telling you it's something different than my typical headache, or it's exertional, or some concerning element along those lines. And then I go through the same sort of physical examination process, which is a look at their vital signs, big ones being Uh, the absence of fever, the absence of very elevated blood pressure. I look at them in, you know, as a gestalt and decide if they're well or unwell, if they're cogent and alert or if they're altered. And then I do do, um, a head and neck examination and then a neurological examination. The other things you want to focus on particularly are nuclear rigidity. If they're sick, like looking unwell, looking septic, you want to make sure that there's, you're not missing a rash. Sure that they're not reporting a rash to you. And then if you're concerned about intraocular pathology, you're going to want to do an ocular examination looking for papilledema. Or if they're describing, you know, amaurosis fugax, you worry about uh, stroke or dissection. So as we go through this, I'm going to take you through my own approach to secondary headache and the things you can't miss. Now, everyone's kind of got their own you know, trick or way about it, but I, and I, you know, maybe hopefully those of you who are driving to work or, you know, listening to this, uh, you know, try to visualize this, but my differential when it comes to headache is I actually use an anatomic approach. So, let's go through the anatomic approach to the differential diagnosis. Um, so, if you imagine your patient sitting in front of you and you want to determine, you know, is there a secondary headache to be concerned about? I actually start in the space around them. You know, I'll ask questions around carbon monoxide poisoning. Were there other people in the house that had the headache? Did it get better when you got outside? Was, you know, were any pets in the house sick when you were having your headache or anything along those lines? And this is by no means, please, this is by no means comprehensive. I would encourage you all to, you know, take a deeper dive, read up on each one of these. But as you move into the patient's body, before you even get to the head and neck region, look at their blood pressure. Are they, in a hypertensive urgency or emergency where they might be developing a headache as a result of hypertension in one population in particular is uh, your pregnant patients or postpartum patients who may be preeclamptic and headache is the chief presentation. It's not until you take a closer look at that blood pressure, you realize something's going on. But be careful with blood pressure because this is a bit of a chicken and an egg. Is their blood pressure high? Because they're in pain and having a headache and distressed about it? Or is there high blood pressure causing the headache? In the vast majority of cases, it's the former and not the latter. Usually the the blood pressure elevations that you see are reactive to whatever underlying process is um, driving their pain, be it a primary headache or a secondary headache. And remember that... You know, you don't want to necessarily be reactive either. Like in the emergency department, I tend to treat the patient's pain, reassure them, maybe we will turn the lights down a little bit, see if that blood pressure just resolves on its own without any aggressive treatment, because it often will. Now, as you move throughout the patient's body, and again, you know, you can get weird things like MIs um, that'll present as headache or jaw pain, but moving up to the neck, your concerns for neck pain radiating into the head that may present as a headache a stiff neck would be a cervical or vertebral dissection. Those will often cause focal neurological complaints or findings. So pay attention to that again, deeper read at another time. Moving up further anatomically as we go through the patient is I look at their eyes and I consider a cause of their headache originating from their eye. And One big cause not to miss is glaucoma. So you want to be able to assess intraocular pressure either in the office or send them to an optometrist or an ophthalmologist just to do that if that's what your concern is, visual acuity. And then what I call eye itis And I know it's a bit of a cheat. I won't go into it in too much uh, depth, but those are all the inflammatory processes of the eye. Everything from a viral process to a bacterial process to an autoimmune process, like anterior uveitis, iritis, optic neuritis, all the eye itises, as I like to call it. And then moving deeper to the eye, you can get a retroorbital infection, like a retroorbital cellulitis, that'll present with headache and proptosis and all the peas rexia and, and all of that. Looking at their temples, uh, you want to consider temporal arteritis and the blood test of choice for that is going to be a CRP along with a careful examination and a call to someone that could potentially biopsy that uh, artery if indeed you have that concern. They'll often also complain of jaw claudication and as you all know there is that uh, diagnostic uh, classification that you can you can look up. Moving Further into the patient's head, there are epidural abscesses, epidural hematoma. Deeper still, you can get meningitis, which can either be bacterial or an aseptic meningitis, which is essentially viral or post viral meningitis, less serious, um, will often cause a very severe headache, but not a lot in the way of findings, whether it be nuclear rigidity or um, focal neurological findings. Encephalitis. These patients tend to be sicker. They tend to be altered, confused, you know, septic looking. They'll be quite unwell. Uh, there are rarer things like uh, intracranial vasculitis, which may have a lot of neuropsych presentations. You can also have intracranial bleeds. This is a big, big, big one that you can't miss. You know, I always have a few body systems where you can't miss it. And one of the ones I always worry about, is subarachnoid hemorrhage, right? And that's typically a ruptured aneurysm or an AV malformation uh, that leads to a spontaneous intracranial bleed. These are often devastating sudden onset headaches, but they can be subtler. They're on the differential for syncope. They're on the differential for severe headache. They're on the differential for altered LOC. But, you know, you can get some people that have had a sentinel bleed, a relatively minor bleed, Maybe there wasn't any dramatic collapse or loss of consciousness or anything like that at all. They just said it was a severe, sharp headache that peaked quite quickly. I worry about subarachnoid hemorrhage, and I often work those patients up with CT within six hours and a lumbar puncture uh, as needed. The other thing to move on is you're moving further into the 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 brain um, and into you know less common things for an acute headache, but intracranial masses. Um, these can be, you know, intracerebellar abscesses. This can be um, primary uh, malignancies of the brain. This can also be metastases. So remember, if you have a patient who's a cancer patient, no cancer patient, and they present with, you know, a concerning headache, you want to worry about intracranial metastases if that's the type of cancer that's going to metastasize the brain. Another thing the consideration on the differential is hydrocephalus, communicating or non-communicating, which again can present in adults, we tend to think that this is a pediatric thing, but it is uh, something we do see in adults. Moving forward to, you know, less common things, idiopathic intracranial hypertension. Classic profile would be relatively young, uh, obese female patient on birth control or hormones. You know, other people can have that. That uh, is going to be visual disturbance, severe headache, Uh cerebral venous thrombosis. And the simplest way you can think about it is a stroke is a clot in an artery and it's sort of most fundamental understanding. Then uh, cerebral venous thrombosis is a clot in the venous structures of the brain as that impede outflow of venous drainage from the brain. It essentially leads to engorgement and it can have Not only a severe headache, um, they can have evidence of intracranial bleeding on CT. They can have the dense delta sign. They can also have an interesting presentation of crossed neurological signs. As we know, typically stroke and a lot of, you know, unilateral, you know, a lot of intracranial processes cause unilateral focality. But this would be crossed signs um, because, again, it's this diffuse engorgement of the venous structures of the brain. That was my own approach. Everyone has their own way of covering differential diagnoses, but that is, like I said, an anatomic approach where you start just outside of the patient, thinking about their environment, carbon monoxide poisoning or other noxious substances, and then just moving inward, blood pressure, ocular causes, extraaxial things, interaxial things, and then, you know, some rare conditions as well. So. This was sort of the approach in the differential diagnosis. I want to take a deeper dive into a few conditions that we may not always think about as frontline physicians, but and it's not necessarily our job to make the formal diagnosis, but maybe it's our job to recognize this as a possibility and carry that forward to a consultant who may be able to, to evaluate further. So one of the big ones that I always carry kind of in the back of my head, ha ha ha, making jokes, is IIH, idiopathic intracranial hypertension. And this was previously referred to as pseudotumor cerebri. And I briefly mentioned it above. And that is your patient who, you know, would be classically a patient of female gender, childbearing age, may or may not be on oral contraceptives, and who presents with a headache, usually vague, non-specific visual disturbance, but can also have focal neurological complaints and so as you're you know considering that this has a lot of overlap with tension headache a lot of overlap with migraine take the time to at least consider that in your patient who isn't resolving Uh, the patient who you know either you treat and you get some temporary relief but they keep having this persistent nagging headache or this headache with visual disturbance and it doesn't quite sound like the scotoma of migraine then then really do stop and consider the possibility of IIH uh, in your patients and you know and again it can be useful to really tack down those visual disturbances perform a careful ocular examination even if you can't see any clear papilledema but make sure that you know that you're not missing if you're considering migraine make sure that it's truly binocular phenomena scotoma and not a monocular Visual disturbance that might be linked to an ocular pathology like temporal arteritis, IIH, or uh as I rather crudely call it, Iitis <laughs> or glaucoma. Your treatment for that is, well, your set, you know, your, your next steps for that are going to be if you're able to do a lumbar puncture and get an opening pressure, that's gonna be key to the diagnosis in the absence of any uh mass effect on CT. Or alternatively, you're simply going to call your neurology colleagues and ask her or him to evaluate this patient for what you think could be idiopathic intracranial hypertension. Another way these patients may come to you as well is uh, an ophthalmologist or an optometrist who's evaluating the patient for a visual disturbance and notices that they have papilledema. Um, this is going to be another thing where they may call you and you're going to have to quarterback their care and their referrals. So that's one that I kind of keep in the back pocket. Let's move on. I got another one here. And these again, tend to cluster in female patients, but you don't want to overlook them. And I think it's all too easy to make the presumption that your patient is suffering from migraine or suffering from tension headache or, you know, it's always, you know, something benign when in fact it could be something more serious. So the other big one that I always think about, especially in my patient who Maybe as a headache sufferer, maybe they're a bounce back, you know, they come back to the emerge a few times in a row. I start to ask myself, could this be, or they have a history of, you know, prior hypercoagulability. Um, I consider, uh, central venous thrombosis and especially in my female patients who are, you know, pregnant or po- immediately postpartum. And again, that cerebral venous thrombosis. Is essentially a clotting episode in the venous structures of the brain leading to engorgement, backfilling, and you can eventually get bilateral uh, neural findings or bilateral neurological complaints, or it may just be a really severe headache. And again, you can use CT to evaluate, but typically it's an MR venogram or a CT venogram that allows you to, to make the diagnosis. But typically the process is going to be that you're simply going to call your neurology colleagues discuss the case and say, you know what, I'm concerned this is a cerebral venous thrombosis. What I'd like to move on to then is uh, temporal arteritis. And temporal arteritis is another one that, again, can be easy to overlook, but important to uh, pay close attention to. And it's not always going to be that highly localized temple jaw claudication those sorts of things. It may simply be that vague headache that fails to resolve. And in addition to a careful history, you really want to do a careful physical examination. You want to ask them to show you where the pain is, where does the pain go when they chew, and then carefully feel their temples. And you want to compare sides because you want to see, are there asymmetries there? Is there a lot of tenderness? Can you? Is there a palpable nodular... Vessel, all those sort of things are going to push you in the direction of temporal arteritis. And while an ESR and CRP are useful, they are not the diagnosis. You actually need to phone—well, um, uh, can be a rheumatologist or head neck surgeon or an ophthalmologist, someone who's going to be comfortable by seeing uh, the temporal artery to get you that definitive pathology. And the treatment is immediate steroids. And I mentioned that one only because temporal can be vision-threatening. And it may also present as amaurosis fugax, temporary blindness. Speaking of amaurosis fugax, let's briefly cover dissection. So this may present as a headache. And essentially what we're talking about is a, a cervical or vertebral artery dissection that goes upward, caudally. Causing a strong element of neck pain, headache, and you may get stroke like features. You may get focal neurological findings depending on the distribution of the vessel and depending on which side it is. And it is in the differential for a sort of a full on classic ischemic stroke. They may also present with Horner syndrome as well. What is it? Meiosis, anhydrosis, ptosis, I believe, MAP. So at that rate, I think what I'm gonna do is just briefly summarize the key points here. What I'm gonna do then is just go ahead and summarize everything. And essentially, it's this. When you're evaluating your patient for a headache, strongly consider the fact that this could be not a primary headache, but a secondary headache. The key to picking up on that is to number one, have a very broad Differential. You don't necessarily have to go pursue every aspect of this differential, but you want to consider that the differential very broadly. And again, just re-listen to that differential or or have a good read on a great article that might supply it or a textbook, um, but have a broad differential for secondary headache. Perform a very careful history, taking into account the big ones that I highlighted earlier in this podcast and don't miss sudden onset. And I'll often push my patients on that a little bit. You know, if they say it was sudden, can you tell me what time it started? Can you tell me what time it reached its maximum intensity at? And that'll allow you to, to, to move away from a, a potentially vague word because sudden might mean, you know, it peaked at three hours. Sudden might mean it peaked at three minutes. So. You know, asking your patients to provide a time course is really, really helpful. You don't want to miss an infectious process or a cancer-like process. You want to do a thorough physical examination, including a close head and neck exam and including an ophthalmologic exam as you see needed. Okay. If that's where they're localizing to or they're having visual complaints, it should be followed up with a, a careful visual examination. The other key bit of wisdom I'll share is to think about your bounce back patients closely. The ones who keep coming back, it's not getting better, it's not getting worse, or the treatments provided are only providing, or only, you know, giving them temporary relief. You want to strongly consider, could this be an underlying secondary headache? I have a low threshold to call a consultant for support if you need it. All right. So with that, I think I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, Dimitri, unless you have any other questions, it's been an absolute pleasure to be back on the podcast. You know, I, I absolutely love it. And we're so excited, uh, to be relaunching Physician Empowerment. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for, for dropping by. This is excellent.